Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for coming back to the Exit Your Way Business Roundtable. I went I went live a little bit prematurely there, and Andrew was about ready to say something, but uh, we got it. Happen. It wasn't swear, no cussing. It's okay. No, it wasn't. That's that's my job. I do that without even trying. So, with us today, we've got Aaron Marburg. Aaron, great to have you. Yeah, this is great. Thank, thanks for inviting me, guys. Appreciate it. All hey, right. Business owners out here, pay attention. This yeah. is uh, um, an unbelievable resource, Aaron, is uh, for business owners. We've worked with them on deals in the past. And anyways, Aaron, tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Well, uh, what, you guys want to hear about what's going on now or background? Yeah, we can talk about anything. But first of all, is there something that you, we talked about this before? Aaron's a financial no, advisor. No, 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 and What's that? Huh? You're not hearing me. That's you, I can hear you. Yeah, I can. I, I, that's strange. I, I can't hear Damon. I can see him talking a lot. Oh, Damon, you got to right. write everything down and just hold it up so I can see it. Oh, okay. No, okay. do charades. Well, this is interesting <laughs> because sounds I can hear you, Andrew, but yeah, that's the strangest thing. All right. I'm going to come out and come back in. All right. Well. Well, we'll keep going. You can hear me, Aaron? Yep, I got you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Technical difficulties. Now, does that did that work? Yeah. Still that no. Is the strangest thing. Hmm. No. Wow. You, can um, you hear Damon? Andrew? Can you hear me, Andrew? Yes, I can hear you. Both. Okay. It's on his end. Go ahead. I can't hear Damon though. Let's just do this. We'll try one more thing, get our technical difficulties figured out here. Now can you hear? Now I got you, Andrew. You can hear me? (laughs) I can hear you. Oh yeah, I can hear you just fine. It's uh, Damon. I've I've got nothing. Still can't hear me. That's the strangest thing. Yeah. Yeah, you fellas want me to you want me to drop out and jump back yeah, in? Yeah, drop out and come back yeah, in let me again. Try yeah. That. yeah. All right. Well, this is the first time this has happened to us. Well, thanks for being here today. We got to get the music to run. Yeah, we got to get the music to run. Ira got me hooked up with some music this morning, so I, I know where I'm gonna find it. And uh we need to get that because it's uh we could just play the whole music right now. So yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, here I see Aaron's coming back in. Let's see how this works. So I, I hear Damon. There you go. We're good. We're hey, good. T- 2020, right, fellas? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. It's good. <laughs> cool. So, well, great, Aaron. It's good to have you here. And what I was going to start by saying is when we talked before, we're getting ready for the for for this. You mentioned a little bit about that. Uh, you're a financial advisor. There are some things that that we might talk about today that. Hey, your your views, what we talk about today is no way 
in in uh, the opinions of your company that you work for. Just want to make sure that's real clear because uh, that I'm, and if there's anything special you got to say, go ahead and, and take care of that. And we'll take care of it again throughout. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I'm glad you say that because it's just an important caveat. And it's true, right? It's I mean, we're obviously subject yeah. to legal restriction. But even in addition to that, I mean, anytime anybody's talking about their finances and making plans, look, it should it should never be you know built along you know, based upon hearing you know somebody like myself talking on a broadcast like this, right? Because the very nature of one's finances and the plans they should put, be putting together should be very much customized to them. And that should be a byproduct of a conversation they have with an advisor. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that we get the, the, uh, that out in front of everything we're talking about because I know it's, it is uh, A, legal and B, important. So, so let's, let's get into the, the, any of the fun stuff, dude. So you grew up in the Seattle area. Yeah, yeah, one of the, um, uh, I, I guess I'm becoming like a dying breed these days, right? It's, you know, a lot of folks have moved into this area and I'm a Pacific Northwest resident through and through. I grew up out in Woodinville and uh, mm -hmm. I moved, I went to college up in Bellingham, right up at Western Washington University. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I hung around there for a few years afterwards before I moved back down into the Seattle area and I've been here ever since. So I don't get out much. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't need to, need, didn't need to go see the world to find your career. That's cool. That's cool. I, I, yeah, I guess, not. you know, I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, I was lucky in a lot of ways in that finance to me is actually like, I enjoy it. I really like it. And I, and I figured that out at a relatively young age. I actually remember being fascinated by finance, you know, going all the way back to high school. Right. So, you know, I, I went into college and obviously, you know, took some other classes, but, you know, absent something completely blowing my mind, there was no question that I was going to major in business with a focus in finance, which is exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. nice. That's cool. nice. I feel the same way. Yeah. Uh, when I did the, when I got around finally in the MBA program to the finance courses, then the light bulb for me went off that, that seemed to make the most sense. And it really, I understood, I could see it like as a blueprint for, for all types of businesses and yeah, so I, I get it. Although I think we might put some people to sleep here if we geek out on finance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's talk a little bit about you, man, because you're you're a, you're a finance guy, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you you've done you've climbed Mount Rainier before, right? Yeah, yeah, 2016. Yeah. So so, what the heck do you have to do to do that? I mean, because I I know several people that have done it. I know we've got a friend, Tom Ivankovic, has done it a few times. But uh, it's what do you do? How do you prepare for something like that? Uh, well, for starters, you, you you eat you eat a diet that's completely different than what I eat now. Uh, <laughs> no, it's I mean, look, it's yeah, so a I mean you. you you do a lot of training from you know safety standpoint, right? Because it is dangerous. Uh, yeah. You know, it's you, you need to you, you need to learn how to, you know, I was on a four man rope team, uh, and you know you got to learn how you navigate on the rope to keep yourself and your and your teammates safe. Um, now I remember we went late late season with the snow, uh, you know, so I guess we're kind of spring. We went up to uh, Snoqualmie Pass to to basically practice chucking ourselves down a hill and then stopping ourselves using the ice axe, right? Because there's always the risk that one of the teammates. Uh, it, it's not dangerous when you're on, on up on Snoqualmie, but there's always the you know the danger that yeah. up on Rainier 
somebody steps through the ice into a crevasse and they start falling and, and you have to drop onto the ground and spike your axe in the ground, right. To, to, to arrest them, self arrest and then you got to try to catch them. Uh, yeah. you know, and then, and then you have to practice, uh, we, you have to practice the process of if that happens, uh, you know, what is the process for how you get them out of there? Right. There is actually a methodical, uh, process by, by which you, 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 you know, use the rope and your team and create anchors, right. To, to, to pull them out of there. Um, and then, and on top of that, I mean, you do gotta, you gotta get yourself tuned up just, just body wise. I mean, we climbed, uh, Mount Sai, I want to say six, seven, eight times. And, uh, you know, the first time I just went up there and threw a couple water bottles, in the backpack, but by the, like the final couple trips, I mean, you, you know, you're throwing water jugs in the backpack and you're, you're intentionally trying to get your pack up to 50 or 60 pounds. Uh, and then you're trying to get up this thing as quick as possible, right? You're trying to, I mean, you're trying to get your legs ready to be able to get up that mountain. And, uh, uh, needless to say, I was lighter, uh, in 2016. Uh, yeah. but, but I would, I could never imagine, uh, trying to do that mountain, uh, and not be in that kind of shape because it, it is draining. It was a blast. It's a cool experience. I want to do it again in a couple of years, actually, but, um, yeah, it's all, it's off. Did you, was it an overnight camp on that? Yeah, we went up to, we did the, we did the route up through Camp Mir out of paradise. So we, we climbed into Mir, uh, you know, crash, crash there and overnight it, right. We slept for five hours and then and maybe, and then got up and, you know, cause you leave, we left, we left Mir at about two or three in the morning, fed for the summit that day. And it took a long time. We had, so our climb in, from paradise into mirror um, was not pretty. The weather was kind of, it was raining a lot. Uh, it was pretty oh. nasty. Uh, yeah, we kept thinking it was supposed to break up and it never really did. So we got kind of drenched. And and then the wild thing was we, we, we punched through the clouds to get to mirror. I mean, mirror must've been 500 feet above the cloud line. So, so now we weren't getting rained on, but we were soaked. And then above the cloud line, it was probably like 21 degrees. So, oh. you know, we're soaked and we're freezing. And the only way you could dry your clothes off was your body heat. So, you know, the first thing you want to do is take all this wet stuff off. You can't, you had to keep it on if you wanted to, you know, keep using it. So, uh, took a little while to get uh, everything dried out. Uh, and then summer day was sunny, but it was crazy wind the whole time, nonstop, nowhere to hide. He, my buddy had been up four times and he said he'd never been anything like that. So, it, you know, it, it was just draining, having this, the, wow. the wind just pound into you. And, Nowhere to so, take a break, but I, like I say all this, and people are like, "That sounds like a horrible experience." I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It's really yeah. amazing. Well, I live at uh, seven thousand feet here in Park City, so I'm a little acclimated to the altitude. But how was it? How did you? How'd you handle the altitude up there? I mean, does that training really help you for that? You really got to get up there for a while. You know, the thing I learned, and, I, and I'm not by no like I've done Rainier, I've done another, I did Shucks in another mountain. Um, and so I'm not like, you know, I'm not an expert by any stretch. Um, but from what I understand is it, it, it's almost one of those things you almost kind of don't know how it's going to hit you. Right. And, and it didn't really bug me on Rainier, but I definitely noticed when we got from the summit back down to Mir, uh, that when I got back to Mir, I was like, you know, oh my gosh, not like this is, I feel great, you know, 10,000 feet at Mir. And I'm oh. like, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm just sucking in oxygen right now. So, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, we didn't, we didn't do any sort of, we didn't spend a day acclimatizing or anything like that, but, um, I, I know it, it just hits people different. Some people do, they start getting headaches and they get sick and all those things. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I had, I had a friend of mine that I used to work with years ago, and 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 he was describing it to me. And they didn't make it because they got a got in a storm or something. They got up a ways and got close. And he said it was just like one step and rest, and one step and rest when you get up near the top. And it was just brutal when you get to the last bit of it. And and they yeah. turned around. But he said it was that the altitude really hit him hard. Mm. So. It happens, yeah. and you're and you're already zapped, right? I mean, you already carried yeah. all that weight, and you're way up the mountain, and uh, yeah, yeah, and you just don't know how, how it's going to hit you. But they did the right thing too, right? That's the other thing is you always have to be ready to turn back. Uh, you know, that's you know, people try to push through elements when they shouldn't, and that's that that's that's how you get into some some real trouble up there. Well, yeah, we have people die almost every year up there, if not every year. Uh, I haven't heard of any this year, but it's it's a lot harder climb than people make it out to be because it's you know it's done a lot but it is a, a fairly difficult climb in some respects mm -hmm. oh so. yeah 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 it, but yeah my, i understand that actually they they a lot of people use rainier to as a training mountain to get ready for uh trying to go do everest hmm. oh right that, that, that that's been that's my understanding you know, again i i don't you know that's uh all hearsay right but that my understanding is that yeah that a lot of people do use rainier as a mountain which is kind of funny right mount si was my training mountain they're using mount rainier as their training mountain yeah yeah training mountain so yeah the, the train yeah 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 i do remember when we were climbing it right we're you know to your point andrew about your buddy right just one step after i mean we were we weren't moving quick we were going slow and the two rangers that are out of camp camp mirror i mean they they come up and they just fly right by us right i mean they were like up and down the whole thing and like just no time meanwhile we're trudging along you know trying to make it yeah yeah, yeah. well that's wild that's wild i always like that uh, you know it's it's interesting you know that the preparation it takes like you talked about the training and the and then not the safety training too i didn't think much about that but you like you said if somebody falls through there's a lot of things that you have to get ready for not just physically so oh yeah 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 man that's most accidents on the mountain happens on the way down because mm -hmm. you're physically drained and you're mentally drained and then you make mistakes. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, and we'll talk about some other personal stuff too here in a, in a minute. Cause you, you, you did something this last weekend that was pretty wild too. Well, let's talk about that now. Cause I think that's crazy as hell as well. But, uh, so you did a 50 mile in town hike. And you started at nine o'clock at night on Friday night and went yep, straight yep. through until Saturday. Yep. Yeah. It was, uh, um, you know, I finally, I, I, I'm finally off the leave. So that's exciting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that was, that was a couple days of, of agony, but, uh, no, yeah, it was, um, you know, a buddy of mine, he, he does a lot of these endurance, uh, events and he invited me out to go do it just through this organization, organization called go ruck. Um, you know, and I know yeah. like their, their foundations all built around, you know, military, ex-military guys. And that, and that's also the gist of these, these hikes they set up. Um, so they set this thing up where, yeah, it's a 50 mile hike. Uh, you've got 20 hours to get it done. Um, and, and the way they do it is you, you, uh, it starts at nine, but you know, you get there early so they can talk about some things and at eight fifty they give you a piece of paper or, or a couple pages. And the first page is all the safety stuff on it. And then the other pages have the waypoints, but they tell you at, uh, they give it to you at 850, right? And they say, okay, look at the first page, but do not open it, right? And then at nine, you can open it. And it's got all the waypoints in there. And there's no map. Like you gotta, you gotta decide it, it, how you wanna go 
hit all these waypoints. You know, it's they don't tell you how to do it. It's your choice. Um, so there were eleven of them, and um, and you know, so yeah, we you know we're sitting there and nine o'clock and we flip it over, start digging through these things and figure it out, and you know, spent five or ten minutes, and then off we went, and uh, and you know, we we essentially went from Magnolia Park uh, into Tremont, Ballard, up to Edmonds, over to Lake Forest Park. And then down south in kind of the Magnuson area, up, up into the Roosevelt U District area, up into Capitol Hill, down to CenturyLink, and then back over to Magnolia and hit uh, about 50 miles. Um, did it in a little over 16 hours. Uh, we got it done, but it's it hurt. It, it, it's we, we, we our, our pace was not very fast at the end. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they would qualify that as walking when we were getting to the finish line there. Yeah. Well, you may be on a leaves, but Damon and I would be on a gurney after that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's why I bring it up because there's no way I'm making 50 miles, but it would be nice, nice goal maybe. But it's cool that you did that. And you said there, there were, uh, uh, there was one team you said that jogged it. Oh my, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we're, we're walking along, right? So the way the map was set up, right? I kind of told you we went up into Edmonds. You know, you could have gone essentially the other way, yeah. and we were in Edmonds and and we're walking along, right? It's it's probably I don't know two in the morning or something. I can't even remember. Anyways, but we're, we're we're walking along and we're just saying to ourselves, you know, if anybody went kind of the other way, we're, we're probably going to bump into some other teams in the next you know hour or two. And like no sooner did I finish that sentence and I look up and I say, what the hell is that? And there's two guys coming at us. And they're, they're jogging. They were blown away. And sure enough, these guys jogged the whole thing. So, you know, I, out of this whole thing, I think we got third place and we did it in a little over 16 hours. These guys did it in a little over 11 hours. I mean, that, that is like, that's mind blowing to me. I couldn't even imagine trying to run this thing. That, then I'd be on the gurney right with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, only, and, and with any of these things, I think they said on average only fifty percent of people make it because it's more mental than anything. The last twenty miles, you know, you can push the, your sore, your feet hurt, all those. Things. It's just more mental than anything, right? It's just can you keep your head screwed on and just kind of pound through? But you know, that's a, it's a long time to keep grinding on your on your mind. So that's where yeah. you see a lot of people, uh, you know, drop out. And I, just, hmm. I get it, right? It's hurt. It's it's, it's hard. Yeah. So I have to ask them, why do you do it? <laughs> yeah, man, that's a good point. You know, it's it, people ask me about like a mountain, right? You know, the old joke is because it's there, right? I don't know what to say about this thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's just, it, um, I tell you, you'd asked about Rainier to start. I hadn't had, when we finished, I hadn't had that feeling since Rainier. It, it, it's like this, it's like this really unique euphoria when you get it done that you, you pushed yourself through something it was so incredibly difficult that literally half of the people that try it don't make it. I mean, that like the accomplishment, you know, the sense of accomplishment that comes out of that, I, it was such a good feeling. And, 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 you know, I was, I walked away from that, you know, sore and tired, you know, and all sorts of places hurt that I didn't even know, you, you know, those places could hurt, but I also like had all this energy because of it. Uh, yeah. And that's just, it's a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So I, you know, you, you said that and I was thinking about it after we talked, it's like, man, that's, it's, you don't even think of people doing this kind of stuff in, in town, in the city, you know, doing a 50 mile uh, walk like that or a run. And some of those people's, 
in in town and just running around with the different waypoints. But that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do, um, just in general. You know, not fifty miles, five miles it doesn't matter if you're going to do something like that'd be pretty cool. So this wasn't a COVID event, was it? Or to do something like that? Is it, they just did this even before COVID? No, they do. They do a bunch of events, and in fact, they have the fifty-mile one. Uh, you know, it's the big, the big one. They also have a twelve and a twenty-six, mm-hmm. um, which actually, somewhat comically, uh, yeah. Well, so my buddy who yeah. turned us on to this, he he didn't tell us about the twelve and the twenty-six until we were like, a, you know, a week out of the fifty, right? <laughs> I looked at him. I say, wait, you they have a what? Yeah, they got a 12 mile and you said it's on the 50. What the hell? Did he mention that when you got to the 12 mile marker there? He's like, oh, by the way, yeah, we have another one. Well, <laughs> He's done he like a week before. I can't remember how it came up. I feel like maybe we were talking about it. He says, oh, yeah, there might be some other people there that are doing the 12 and the 26 mile one. And I would say, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about, 12 and 26 mile game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we, were already, we weren't going to back out at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, so you went to school and did your finance thing and, and you got out and you did you you're a financial advisor. I don't even know if I told anybody this, but did you start doing uh, financial advisory right out of college or did you do some other stuff and then get into it or how kind of what was your progression? So I was uh, so so, you know, I already knew that I really liked finance. And that, that was the track that I was taking in college. And, and I knew that I wanted to get into finance after college. So. I was actually paying my way through school detailing cars, um, but I just started basically poking around and asking everybody I knew if they knew anybody in finance because I wanted to get a job in finance. And yeah, uh, I believe it was spring of my junior year. Um, I, I got a job as an administrative manager at a, a little financial planning outfit uh, up in Bellingham, um, and you know it worked out great, right? Get the, get my feet in the door, cut my teeth. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did that, uh, you know, for a couple, two, two and a half years or so, um, and then kind of used that as a platform to, to launch into, I actually started my own um, independent financial services practice. Um, I operated out of Bellingham for a period of time and then moved back down to the Seattle area. And I, and I ran that for about five or six years um, and then hit a point where I basically said that, you know, I, I, I I wanted to find a, a different model with better resources that you that I could lean on. Uh, you know, I, I just after doing it for a number of years, I came came to the opinion that uh, there were some holes in in I think the servicing model as an as an independent. And I wanted to try to rectify that. So, anyways, so I started looking around, talked to a lot of different organizations. I actually found that a lot of our industry, frankly. Uh, uh, you, you can have an amazing, enormous shingle uh, over your desk, but functionally, the model is actually still very much like the independent framework. So I actually yeah. got a little turned off by by that. Um, uh, but then, but then somebody turned me on, you know, to Bernstein, where I'm at now. Um, you know, it was different, different model, different framework, made a ton of sense, and so I was interested and, and wanted to join. And um, you, you know, in, the other, interestingly, so I, you know, I was still 27 at the time. And um, the the role that I acted was open that I applied for was an associate position. And I remember when I, you know, came in to talk to the interviewing manager about that. And they said, like, look, you got to connect that dot for me. You're an advisor right now. You want to come as an associate. And I just said, like, look, I'm 27 and I've worked as an independent advisor. But like, I want to get a sense of in, within finance, like directionally, where do I want to go? So I'm OK with it. Like, I would love to come in. It seems like a great way to get a foot in the door, get a sense of the organization, understand directionally where do I want to go. 
so I did came in the door it was great um within two years they the the you know I still had a lot of interfacing as an associate with clients and within two years the the firm said we want you to start taking on clients of your own uh yeah and, and you know the rest is history I've been there 10 years now wow that's well, tell, cool. tell us a little bit about Bernstein I know because yeah yeah it's, really it's, um you know what I I mean, I, I know a bit, you know, uh, and I know they're really research oriented company, you know, and yeah. data being so important now. But anyway, yeah, tell the folks about that a bit. Yeah, I mean, look, you hit one of the nails in the head. I mean, look, the history, the, the firm has a, a rich history. I mean, we've been around for north of 50 years, uh, you know, global footprint, only work in wealth management and research. We, you know, we work as fiduciaries for our clients and our research, research platform is arguably the the single best research platform in our industry period um you know the thing that i would the thing i would add to that though, that i think makes us really unique is you know as a firm we've also not been afraid to evolve over the years and and we've really evolved into this um yeah. organization where where we have this multi-family office office offering that we bring to the table for our clients and you know, what that looks like is that, look, we still do all the things that you'd anticipate or you expect from a wealth manager, right? We leverage that research to build custom portfolios for all of our clients. Um, you know, we leverage our teams to help our clients build long-term financial projections and multi-generational projections. But in addition to that, we've built out a number of service offerings that have dedicated teams. So, for example, philanthropy. Right. A lot yeah. of our clients have goals around philanthropy. Well, each of our clients has a dedicated team to help provide advice around, you know, how do they help structure their goals? What's the best way to, you know, what are the right levers to pull to maximize their impact? Um, you know, another team that I, I, I would point out is family engagement as an example. We have a team that's focused on working with families to help facilitate the conversations around not only transferring wealth, but transferring values. Right. Because that's what you, when you, you know, when you really boil it down, when you really boil it down, often that's like the single most important thing for folks, right? When they, they, they sure they want to help provide a, uh, a very productive financial future for their kids, but they want to make sure they pass along the right uh, behaviors and feelings about their money as well. Yeah. And we have a team dedicated on that. And you know, all there's a number of other offerings that are kind of under this, this multifamily office uh, structure. Um, and, and that those are service offerings that we just bring to our clients. We don't charge more to do it. So it's a really unique model, really holistic in nature. Uh, and I think really gets down to the things that really matter to people when you think about their money. Yeah. Yeah. This is great um, because, I mean, I think, you know, what, what you're describing here, what Aaron's talking about too, when we're involved with clients and they have a big investment that they're transitioning out of when they exit their business. Yeah. It is. Um, it is such a big event, you know, and, and, and not a comfortable event, you know, um, uh, you know, they've, they put everything they have into the business and they built it up. They don't have a portfolio necessarily. They don't have the vest, they don't understand the risk. They really, it really is a scary proposition to kind of understand how I'm going to live without the cash flow that I get from this business that I've been doing for the last 30 years. Right. But at that aspect of it too, um, what I see, you know, Aaron, what he's getting into with them is really understanding what they want to do because work does come to an end. You can't be working on the business. Everybody, 100% of everybody who's working in the business and owns it is going to get out. And if you want to get out the right way, but he's, you know, as 
what uh, what they're doing there with Aaron, with folks at Bernstein is understanding what they really want to do. And then we talk about the number that can make that happen, you know, and so and understanding what their life would be, whether it's philanthropy, legacy, or maybe going into another business or what have you, you know, educational, you know, understanding the the um, the real aspirations and desires of the of the customers. Very cool and very helpful because. Well, yeah, yeah. we we've run through those before looking at a scenario when someone is selling a business you know you can evaluate different offers based on what they're going to do after based on the offer based on you know the terms of the offer all this and you can go sit down with that client and 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 then talk to them about risk profile and whether they want to invest this and that and then we come up with that number you come up with that number not us and and then we can we can figure out what makes sense amongst different offers even. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool part that I think some of the stuff that you guys do, that's, that's very helpful with when we're in those situations. It definitely makes yeah. the client comfortable through something like that. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I mean, I mean, yeah, you get, you guys know this, right? I mean, if somebody's looking to exit, exit from their business and you know, they're, they're entertaining multiple offers. I mean, that's a scary time. Right, because you know, yeah. you've worked in your business, whether it's five years or thirty years, you know that business that that work has been paying your bills, and now you're looking at these things and say, "Well, wait a minute, is this <laughs> going to be enough? What's this going to mean for me?" And to your point too, Andrew, you talk about like you get down to what really matters to people. You know, they, they're like, "Okay, this is it. This is my big moment," and they start thinking about all these dreams, these things that they wanted to do. Right? They wanted to get a boat and take the grandkids out sailing or whatever it might be. Yeah. And the question becomes, can they can they actually do those things? Right? So. Um, I mean, yeah, we've obviously been able to work with you guys, leveraging some of those systems and tools to pull those levers to understand, like, look, yeah, here's how this deal will play out. Here's how this deal will play out. And 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 that's we found to be incredibly helpful to at least kind of lift, you know, some of the confusion around, you know, is is deal, you know, one, two or three, the right deal. And is it going to be able to yeah. is it going to provide enough for me and my family so that we can do these things? Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, of course, when. And, and what's integral, what's, you know, most important, why why you are such a valuable partner to exit your way is um, we are, if we're not there right now, we're going to put a plan together and, and operationally to get that business there. So yeah. it does get them what they need. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just going to say that that in a perfect world, um, you know, we always try to work on this sort of planning, you know, well in advance you know, well before deals, you know, obviously we do a ton of work when the deal's already on the table, but um, the earlier we get involved, the better, because not, not only can we start to get a sense of, you know, where is the business at relative to their goals, but there's also, you know, look, if we discover that they're going to sell the business for X and they only need Y right now, they've got this cushion of capital. And then they start to think about some of these things outside like philanthropy. And there's actually, yeah. there are things that people can do before a transaction that can actually multiply the value of the deal through tax benefits because of they start, you know, and obviously, look, you got to pull in the CPA, you got to get all the right people around the team. All, you know, it's, it's having the right teams right, uh, uh, critical, but you can actually generate so much more value by planning in advance. That's why I mean, we pound the table, we pound the table probably ad nauseum. People are already sick of hearing about trying to get involved early, but it's because we feel like we can generate so much more value that way. Yeah. yeah. It's hard because the these these guys these these people are so busy. I mean, they're building the company. Yeah. They're working hard every day. They and yeah. it, but five years. If it's within five years, you're already almost getting too late. I mean, but we can do it. But the longer we start working on, you know, that identifying the goals and plans, what you want, yeah, yeah. 
stretching it, you know, Hey, what are, what are the big dreams I want to do? And uh, we'll go to work, but yeah, yeah. having an amazing impact on that. We can get that number. Um, yeah. And you, and you made, you made a good point there, Aaron, too, is like some of this stuff, philanthropy people, just because they don't know the number, they don't think about that ahead of time. And I think that's where if, if I was doing this, uh, and I was in the situation where I was going to do it, I would be out there five, six, seven years ahead going, okay, my business is worth about this. And I got about the, you know, what am I really looking at here? Because something that people don't understand and, and people listening to this might be a little bit surprised, but you can get $10 million and that not be enough after taxes mm -hmm. and everything. Right. Because some people get, you know, if your business is making a million dollars a year and you're spending a million dollars a year, $10 million is not a lot of money. <laughs> just, let's just nope. be honest. Well, if you got it's 20 money. years yet to live, of course. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it, so we're not talking about a hundred thousand dollars. We're talking sometimes this is $20 million that people are looking at and they're going, Oh, is that going to be enough? Mm -hmm. Because of the different things they want to do, especially if they wanted to be a lot of philanthropy, you know, because some people want to get out and donate 10, 20 million dollars when they when they sell their business or do some sort of transaction uh, because it's a real goal for them. And this is why the planning, I think, is is so, so critical, because a, what seems like a big number is not that big when you consider it in the long run. That's the only thing. Yeah. I was, I was, I was going to add, I was going to say that, you know, you kind of got to the heart of also how retirement planning has shifted over the years, because, you know, if you, if you rewind back, you know, years and years and years ago, um, I mean, let's just be honest, we, we didn't live as long. Right. So you could retire yeah. at 65, you know, and they used to have, you know, all the old models around, you know, your age should be your percentage in bonds, for example. Well, you know, that was all predicated on this idea that frankly, we were going to die in 10 or 15 years. Well, now we're living till our 90, 95. It's yeah. not unheard of to see one spouse in America, you know, go to a hundred. So, you know, yeah. bearing that in mind, then you got to think about, uh, yeah, you know, a, a million dollars is not what it used to be. It really isn't. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you, you know, then you tack on the fact that you look, if you're going to be alive for 30 years, what does that mean from like, from an inflationary perspective? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 a completely different equation, and yeah, you you need more capital to to, to make it work, and obviously yeah. knowing what that number is ahead of time is makes a big difference. Yeah, well, well, making too um, make it folks understand too as as they're going along in business, they're generating you know net income every year, cap their cash, free cash flow, and they're taking a portion of that and investing it into their their retirement. And they think that's that's where they're at. You know, but there's a terminal value to that business, right, which can really fluctuate. And, and a lot of them don't get sold necessarily. So that's a, it's a, a really a lost opportunity to get yeah. a lot of security built back into you. But and I think the important part is, too, and I think is, is them understanding it's, again, a, a risk profile, right? You feel pretty comfortable. I've been in business for 30 years. I'm running this. I got great cash flow. I've, I've got two homes. I, you know, I've paid my kids through school or, you know, it, things are good. But, you know, how much am I really putting away for that end when you come to the end? And two, what's the opportunity cost? So this is really, it's all about when you decide to sell. That's part of that plan and, and nailing that down because the opportunity cost, I mean, if if you have a, a, a business that's worth $15 million or $20 million, that's not a liquid asset. 
you know, there's a lot of equity tied up in it that's not working for you other than the cash flow you get from it. So you're not making as much as you think, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, to, I mean, you guys know this better than anybody, right? Uh, like I said, it's not a liquid asset, right? And it's not like, you know, if things, things get tough, you know, if I've got Microsoft stock, I can sell it, right? You know, I got yeah. any trouble. That's not always true with the business. And, and we've seen this, you know, I mean, it, Oh, you know, we saw a little scare of it earlier this year, you know, but, you know, like 08 was a perfect example where, you know, you had people in 2007, you know, waiting and just saying, I want to get one more turn on my valuation before I exit. And then yeah. they got stuck for five, six years. Yeah. You know, that's, I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's, you know, if you were suddenly saying, I'm going to sell it at, at, you know, 65 and now you're 71. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, never, I've never heard of, uh, anybody say I sold too soon. I always hear right? I, I too late and there, you know, and it's not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Bird, bird in the hand. So, yeah, yeah we just did it again because we had, we had people who are holding off um, end of last year and now have COVID hit. So, you know, that's the risk. Right. And again, that's another thing to, to really, really understand that it's a great, it's a good business. It's providing great cash flow. It has done for the last 15 years, but if it's 95% of your, net worth is tied up into that business, which I think quite a few of them are, um, you know, um, that's risk. Talk about yeah. that. <laughs> How much risk is there in that? Rather than take that, if the business is worth 10 million or 15 million, take that money and what else do you do with it? And understanding um, that if a COVID does happen by, you know, if it's 95% of your net worth, then you're, you're toast. Yeah. Go but ahead. if you're diversified, you know, well, yeah, like you, you know, you never know. I know, I know. I was talking to somebody who, who I, I know they, they had they had worked on a deal where uh, somebody sold their company, not all of it, like eighty percent of it, I think. With you know, they had a retained exposure of twenty percent back in like December of last year, um, and the company's bank they they are gone. They went under in April, I think. I mean, I mean, could you just imagine, right? If they had not done that deal in December, this oh, person yeah. would have gone from their entire life's work yeah. to gone in four months. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and I don't say that's like scary because look, I, I, I'm of the opinion, uh, most entrepreneurs and business owners are very, very good at, at navigating the risk associated with their business. Right. I mean, they, 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 that, that's, that's why they're very successful. They, they know how to, you know, how to pull the right strings and work through tough environments and get through it. And, uh, and it's made them successful. Um, but you know, they're just at times they're just completely exogenous factors that are outside of our control. And this year is of course the perfect illustration. Yeah, yeah it, you know, I, I agree with that, too. And it's it's funny because David and I are old enough now. We've been through a few of these pullbacks. We went through 09. We, we, you know, you're around, you know, for the, the oil embargo, even when we were younger kids then, though. But, um, you know, and, uh, and all these things we've seen. I'm from Detroit originally. So we've gone boom and bust, you know, yeah. happen, the tide go in and out, you know, multiple times in our life. But it hasn't happened now for about 10 years. And we have a lot. There's a lot of businesses it's rare if a business is even 10 years old. They've never seen anything like this. Yeah, it, it's their first rodeo, right? So it, it's interesting times. Um, but I think that the really important part is, and, and, and this is where you really help here, and this, helping the clients understand though too. If so many of them are like, I'm going to work and you know, in the business, it's going great until I'm 65, like anybody else. And that's the time I'm going to sell and retire. You know, you know, that's where that's where we really want to say sell when you get what you want. And it could happen in two years. 
Yeah. yeah. It, you know, oh, yeah. it could happen in three years. When that time comes, you know, make a plan, build a target, go build it, get a company to that point, and then sell it. Don't look back. Right. Just yeah. like if you were in the stock market, you know, you do your investment, you know, you, you know, that way, you know, it's like, all right, I got these stocks and I'm going to sell here because I made my money on it. And, you know, it may still go back up, but I'm a disciplined investor. And, you know, and that's the kind of way you got to treat a business, which unfortunately is hard for people to do because it's their lifestyles are so intertwined with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, also what we see often is, um, you know, people slap a, a you know, an arbitrary value to what they want to sell at. Yeah. Right? And there's no real rhyme or reason, right? It's a round number, right? It's 25 million, right? It's, you know, it's 30 million. And, uh, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll bump into that a lot and then we'll actually do some work where we can do a little planning. We can say like, you know, based on everything that you said that you want to do, you know, 18 million would check all those boxes, you know, and then suddenly that $20 million offer looks yep. really good. Yeah. Exactly right. Because I think we're talking about um, it is an arbitrary number. It, it's, sometimes it's just ego driven or it's just it seems like that's enough money. Um, you know, yeah, that, that is because that is they're too busy to, to really think about the exit strategy. And you got to get a whole lot deeper into that um, to really have a successful transaction is to step back and go. It, it, the number is just a way it's a flag to tell you when. It's, you know, it really is important to understand what your what that money will do for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you're ready to exit. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I know it's really hard because um, some people don't want to exit. They like the work, but, you know, you don't oh, yeah. want to, you know, and that's cool, too. But, you know, you have to um, it's going to happen to you anyways, whether you like it or not. And you want to exit the right way. <laughs> and that's the problem with people who really love doing their work. Yeah, they they'll they'll keep working there until you know they, either they get too tired or it falls out or something bad happens or they just die. <laughs> which which, <laughs> which all, all all of that creates it creates its own problems. Yeah, yeah, and and sometimes that's worse than than if they would have sold for even less before because they're you know a lot of times there's nothing to do at that point and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. Well, not to mention the fact too that if you think about like you're you know somebody doesn't want to give it up, doesn't want to walk away, and and you know hasn't hasn't done some work say with you know an, an estate planning attorney, if they got a twenty million dollar business and and they die, right, and they still own it, right, now yeah. suddenly they may have they may have an estate tax liability with no plan in place, and by the way, there's no liquidity in the estate to pay that tax. So suddenly now oh, the yeah. family or the executor has to do a fire sale of the business to get the money to pay the estate tax. Yeah, and exactly. You guys know this better than anybody, right? Fire sale does not demand the uh, most premium valuation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if yeah. you can sell. And, uh, you yeah. know, it, it's great to have a, an entrepreneur who's in a business and loves his work and wants to do it forever. Um, but I've I've seen it happen too many times. There's in, you can They'll keep going and then there's regrets. A lot, a lot of regrets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no matter what, you know, it was a good ride. You wrote, you did it, but you know, um, you, you'd still got to do that, that plan for the exit, just the same way you started up that thing at the beginning. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, it's, it's been great talking to you, Aaron. I think, uh, um, you know, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? 
Um, you know, you, you can ping me through LinkedIn. It can email me. Um, uh, yeah, emails just, you know, my, I don't okay. know if my name will pop up at the end, but it's just the, my first name, A-A-R-O-N.Marburg, M-A-R-B-E-R-G at Bernstein.com. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's an e- easy, easy way to reach me. Really you're gonna get, you're gonna get spam now from all the forex traders, man. Yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect. No. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll try to keep stay, keep that off the off the radar for you. But no, it's yeah, good yeah. to have you here, Aaron. <laughs> thanks a lot for for stopping by and and uh, you know it's uh, you you are honestly the only person I've known that that walked a fifty mile hike in in Seattle. Uh, at once. <laughs> stop, stop, stop talking about it, man. You're making, you're making like my legs are hurting. You're starting to think about it. <laughs> no, I my brain that. is hurting from your legs hurting about this thing, man. That's pretty crazy. But now with all kidding aside, great to have you here, Aaron. Um, just thanks a lot. And uh, we will, we will talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Yeah.